Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the intersection of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff. And we have a Super Bowl matchup, but that's not the only big event in sports coming up. Because starting Thursday, Beijing 2022, the Winter Olympics, and we will have all the ins and outs of the biggest contingent of LGBTQ athletes in Winter Olympic history. So click to Outsports.com, your Rainbow Olympic connection. In Outsports, some, some of the recent articles we have, Ken Schultz with a figure skating preview. Sid Ziegler looks at four out Olympians who will be cheered by their country, but also simultaneously scorned by their country because they want to get married and they can't because marriage equality haven't quite made it to those respective nations yet. Jim Budzinski has a story on who is the most LGBTQ supportive NFL fan base. I'll give you a hint. It's one of the two teams playing in the Super Bowl, but I won't tell you who. You have to read the article to find out. And Alex Rimmer had yours truly on the Sports Kiki this past Saturday. We were talking about the ins and outs of the NCAA trans inclusion policy and one of the things we talked about was all the accusations, the rumors, and the anonymous reporting and allegations pointed directly at University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas. The story is circulating about Leah Thomas, and this one in the New York Post, I think might be one of the worst. Uh, teammates are uneasy changing in the locker room with trans UPenn swimmer Leah Thomas. And this story is full of anonymous quotes from alleged players on the team. One of the quotes is, uh, you know, it's really upsetting because Leah doesn't seem to care how it makes anyone else feel. The 35 of us who are just supposed to accept being uncomfortable in our own space in the locker room for like the feelings of one. And I have a couple of things with this. Number one, I learned in journalism school, Carly, that anonymous sources are very useful, but you have to, they have to have a good reason to be anonymous. Just giving an opinion is not a reason to be anonymous. That's number one. And number two is like when you read a story like this, I mean, do you buy it? Do you think these are real swimmers on UPenn? Yeah, what's what's your take on not not just this story, but the stories like this that have been out there for several weeks now? This last story goes beyond the pale. Like I said, if I was a parent of a child and you said that about my child, I would be with sitting in there with the chancellor pen with my lawyer with me saying, whoever said this, bring him here, or we start talking lawsuits. My daughter, in this case, Leah, she was my daughter. I'd say my daughter has the right to see her accuser with this. Because these are things that will affect her life. And the real sad thing is people buy this. And right now we live in a country where at least 50% of these people are going to buy it. If they don't buy it here in the paper, they're going to buy it at a voting booth. That will not affect not just sports, but that will also affect me. As a transgender American, that will affect me. The thoughts I shared on the Sports Kiki are in line with a question I have to all of Thomas's detractors. When does Leah Thomas get some fairness? Y'all talk about fairness. When does she get some? Is being accused of sexual assault by innuendo fair? Is being accused of colluding to fix an Ivy League swim race fair? And by the way, another good kid got drawn into that. Isaac Hennig of Yale. Good kid, excellent swimmer. Had two big wins at the Harvard, Yale, Princeton meet this past weekend, and you're dragging him through the mud too. How fair is that? You know something? If either one of those kids were my kid, if I was their parent, there would be lawyers visiting a lot of offices right now, including the offices at their, at their respective universities, the Ivy League, and definitely the Daily Mail and the New York Post and probably send at least one or two intimidating personas to Fox News and OutKick as well, because they've been perpetuating all these different stories. And these stories are libelous and they're heinous, in my view, because these allegations hurt one person, the person who cannot hide, and that's Leah Thomas. These sorts of things can destroy a life. 
where are the people who are so claiming fairness on that issue? And this kind of links up to another thing that's happened in the last week. Um, this time last week, we were mourning the anniversary of the death of quote of basketball great Kobe Bryant, along with a dot along with his young daughter, died in a helicopter crash. I, it's hard to believe that that's been it's been two years now. I mean, I'm still in the days about it. There were a lot of tributes, and one such tribute came from a youngster named Zia Wave. It came in the form of a jersey dress that she made and wore in homage to Kobe Bryant. Oh, by the way, if you don't know who Zia Wade is, her dad is Dwayne Wade. Yes, that Dwayne Wade, NBA great Dwayne Wade, who's turning out to be as much of a Hall of Fame father in support of a child who is trans as he was a Hall of, Fame, Hall of Fame player. But it seems that, you know, ever since the, the whole story with this kid came out a few years ago, there have been some people just taking a free shot at Zaya and by association taking a free shot at Dwayne Wade and his wife, noted actress Gabrielle Union. One of those who took the shot last week was a certain Kwame Brown. Now, Kwame Brown is probably known as the Ryan Leaf of the NBA. He's probably... He's on par with Michael Oloa Candy as far as biggest bust in NBA history in a lot of ways. Um, after after um, a twelve, he's best known for a twelve-year NBA career, which no one did less with more talent. And now he's taken to the social media airwaves to to try and be an edge lord in a sense, and it didn't stop here. We're basically. He had some pointed things to say about Zia Wade, but one of the things he said that struck me the most was questioning Dwayne Wade's manhood as a father for allowing his daughter to wear a jersey dress and saying some things, outlandish things like, that wasn't what Kobe Bryant's about. Kobe, Kobe Bryant was a heterosexual man. It's like, I mean... It was so over the top. It was so ridiculously over the top. But you know, that's an example, another example of what trans kids especially have to deal with. And I want to just say, it, Kwame Brown, this is what you sound like. I wanted to talk about this concept that we've been hearing all day about transgendered children. I get sick to my stomach when I hear that. That's right. That's what you sound like. You sound like that guy who was at a hearing in, in Texas and he was sitting maybe five inches away from the mother of a transgender child. That's what you sound like. But you see, this is an example of the type of treatment trans people are getting, especially right now in these times. It seems like it's okay to just take a shot as someone who's trans, and to save your most wicked shots for trans youth. Whether it's a 13-year-old child, whether it's a 9-year-old sitting in a state assembly waiting to testify and tell some state legislatures why anti-trans bills are a bad idea, having them lip-sync for their lives, or a 22-year-old college student who gets called everything but a child of God, but can have all these allegations and slurs thrown at her from people who can't even give their name. You know, I agree with the Herman Edwards rule. Put your name on it. Put your name on it. Again, to the detractors, when you talk about fairness, whose fairness are you talking about? With that in mind, now off to our guest for this week. In 2011, the NCAA opened the door to transgender participation in collegiate athletics. Now, many of you know the rules for transgender women by now because certain detractors have beat you over the head with them. But what about those who identify as male or are masculine of center? 
The rules are different in that there is a choice that potentially has to be made. You can participate in men's athletics or you can stay in women's sport if you haven't started masculinizing HRT therapy. Once you start testosterone, you have to play for a men's team. A recent name that comes to mind is Isaac Henning, swimmer at the University of Yale, who, by the way, had an excellent meet this past weekend at the Harvard-Yale-Princeton super meet, if you will, where they won in the sprint events. Now, Hennig chose to stay on the women's team at Yale and forego starting HRT until graduation. In an article in the New York Times this past summer, Hennig said they made the decision because of their place on the team and the support they've gotten from the team throughout his journey. He decided he wanted one more ride with the team that had a lofty goal. Yale's women believe that they can break the Harvard-Princeton hegemony on women's swimming in the Ivy League this year. Hennig just wanted to be a part of that. On the other side, there's Taylor Edelman, volleyball player at Purchase College in New York. Edelman was one of the first to play under this policy back in 2011. He started off on the women's team, played two years at Purchase, and then decided it was time for me to be me. They started HRT in the offseason. They came back their junior year and played men's volleyball. And he did pretty well. He was a team leader on the men's team, and senior year was the team's captain. And there's Maxwell Nagel. Nagel was a guard at Hollins College, an NCAA Division III university in Roanoke, Virginia. He played for three years, made 63 game appearances over that time, was known as a three-point specialist, all while playing for a team at an all-women's college while identifying as male. Before senior year, Nagel decided to take the other fork in the road. They started masculinizing HRT, and they waved goodbye to college ball, but they never lost their love of the sport as a whole. Nagel went on to write for Slam Magazine, and most recently for NovaHoops.com, covering high school basketball across Northern Virginia, the district, and Maryland. They're also a teaching assistant at a private grade school in College Park, Maryland. And Maxwell Nagel is joining us today on the Transporter Room. Covering the hoops in the DMV, Maxwell Nagel, welcome to the Transporter Room. Energize. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Carly. <laughs> hey, it is good to, see, good to have you here. First off, when you look back on it now, what still strikes you? What still kind of, in a sense, moves you? when you look back on those days? Um, I think what moves me is probably um, the love I had for the game and for playing. Um, and I'll still love basketball. I still love basketball now and all of it for the rest of my life, but it's in a different way. And I was kind of thinking about this the other night because um like I still follow um, the Hollins team uh, now and just like this time of year and like the season was always tough because we always had like a bunch of games packed into January. So it's moving to remember how much my love for the game kind of pushed away like everything else I was kind of dealing with on like the gender side of things. And also just playing on a school that playing for a team that quite frankly, like, wasn't, we weren't very good. Um, we had a lot of heart, but we played in a tough conference. Um, so it's, that's kind of what sticks out mostly. And, um, 
yeah, I'm I'm like proud of it too. There was something that you said in Slam. I want to bring that out because there was some very important that you had stated. We have to get past the assumption that athletes who undergo such treatment will automatically have a leg up on the competition with the hormones that help them feel like their authentic selves. Because without it, we're already behind physically because we're behind mentally. That was my experience. Give me the deeper level of that. The deeper meaning of that, I think, is I have a lot of um, feelings about how I often feel like there was, because I was at capacity in dealing with my body and just dealing with being a student athlete, because like, I don't want to get it twisted. Like being a student athlete is like hard for anybody, period. Um, especially on our, the team that I was on, but I sort of felt like there was this cap on how much I could do and how how good of a player I could actually have become because I was kind of at capacity with my body and myself and just a lot comes out and a lot makes sense. Once I was on T like, wow, like that's why I was so fragile. That's why I cried all the time. That's why I like had such a hard time doing this and this and this. And um, that's sort of what I was trying to get at in terms of, like the disadvantage I felt like I was at. And I tried to be the kind of athlete that was like mentally tough, like no excuses, no complaining, like whatever. But you're also like a human being. So you have to kind of balance that. And also you get to a certain point where like stuff, stuff is going to hurt you and stuff is going to be hard to handle. Um, what does mentally like, tough, though, even mean in this regard? What does that do? Yeah. What does that <laughs> I mean, mean? Mentally tough. Um, I guess just, I mean, I, like, the, the summer after my first uh, season, like, I worked my, my butt off, quite frankly, um, to come in my sophomore year, which was... I think statistically my best season, which is funny because it was also probably the season I was the most depressed. <laughs> um, but I had a role that was basically coming into the game. If my coach wanted us, wanted us to run a play to get a, to get a three off. That's, that's what I did. I was a three point shooter. Um, and I ended up shooting like 10 for 26, which is just under 40%, which isn't a lot of threes like at all. But to me, that's like really efficient and kind of hard when you think about I'm on the bench for however long coming into the game to shoot one shot and I better make it <laughs> like, um, so being mentally tough and trying, like, I need to be a great shooter. Like I need to do this and work out and blah, 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 to even give our team like a chance at winning against some of these, like bigs like an emory and henry who's now d2 i'm pretty sure or a, a randolph macon or virginia wesleyan or a guilford so um just to name some of the, the powerhouses who were at least ruling the odak when i was playing in it one thing since you talked about being the shooter mm -hmm. what do you think your biggest shot was my biggest shot your biggest oh. shot um my again my sophomore season we, we were playing bridgewater and we also had like a really small team that season so we had maybe like eight people and i hadn't played much of the whole game really and then someone had fouled out and i came into the game on the other team had just gone up bridgewater had just gone up shooting two free throws and I come into the game and I remember hearing them, the, their coach yell like, oh, it's like she's a shooter when I checked into the game. <laughs> and I got on the free throw line, like she makes both free throws, we take the ball out. I'm running down the court and I stop at the three-point line, like on the wing. 
and our point guard passes me the ball and there's like no one on me and i hear my coach like like shoot it like <laughs> so i take one dribble i shoot it and it goes in <laughs> we go up one and i just remember everybody like went crazy like we had usually a pretty it was a home game we had a pretty big pretty big turnout most of our games um despite like our results um we ended up losing that game which is too bad but it was like so like crazy and wild that like i'll still never forget it um so i think that was my biggest shot given like the point in the game and the circumstances so Max Nagel connected on a three-pointer to give Holland the slimmest of leads, 56-55, with 2.02 left yep. on the clock. Yes, I've got the recap right in front of me here. What? Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> that? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> it, was a, it was a rough one. Bridgewater ended up winning by five, but that was mm-hmm. a big shot. Mm-hmm. I love... I actually it came up on my like my snapchat memories because i remember watching the the game on film and like probably uploading it to my story and i watched it and i just i i still love seeing how like everybody on the bench just like exploded and my teammates reactions like on the floor were just like like then, like it, like I really didn't care, like if I was a boy or like I was just a basketball player, like in those moments. So it was all good then. <laughs> we still lost, but for that one moment, it was perfect. <laughs> well, well, here's one thing: what finally, what was the breaking point for you, if there was one? What was the point that you said, if it's basketball? Or my well-being, I'm choosing my well-being. That is a great question because I don't think it actually became pretty clear to me, even close to the end, that it wasn't about basketball, but everything in between. I think it wasn't basketball itself. It was being a student athlete and having to const having to constantly be like because when I was pre-t and all that like I was just so constantly in this like excuse me this vulnerable state that was so hard to handle and being someone who like wears his heart on his sleeve with this athletic culture that's you know oh like keep it together like too coolness too toughness like that was never me like i did not have my shit together and like i wasn't afraid to show it um because things were things were difficult not just because i was i was trans but like i quite frankly like felt like i got made fun of a lot because i was also the only english major on our team in a team full of like STEM majors and and others. And it just felt kind of isolating a lot of the time. And so it wasn't, I mean, there were like a few points towards the end of that third season where I just like knew I was like, if I get taken to a mental space like this badly, like it doesn't matter how much I love the game. Like I have to, I have to get out. And I had gone into that season kind of thinking it was going to be the last for me, um, but kind of saying like, okay, like I'll just treat it as the last, but not make any decisions and like, see how I feel by the end. And um, by the end I was, I was not okay. Like I had gone completely numb basically and like gotten really, like things got really bad and it took getting to such a bad point for my, my coach to kind of believe that it was that bad for me, unfortunately. But, um, like, I mean, I'm still unpacking a lot of stuff about her and just, and me. And, 
um, I was still kind of left with this fulfillment because I, the last few games of my, of that season, I was, I was coming off the bench as a six man, basically, um, due to injuries, not because I had earned it, but because my entire career was basically seizing the opportunities that landed in front of me. So that had always been one of my goals. Um, so I got to do that and we got to win. I won my first and only conference game. And it was the last game I ever played on our home floor on, um, I remember it very clearly because it was, it was Valentine's day in 2018. And it was also the, the day of the, the parkland shooting, unfortunately. Um, so a lot of stuff happened that day. <laughs> um, then something really amazing for me happened. And then we had, I think maybe one more away game and then our, our, our conference tournament started and, and we lost to the, to the higher seat. <laughs> um, and then I, I just, I knew that it was, that it was it. And I wasn't, I didn't know how soon I would be starting testosterone. Um, but it happened for me about February, March, April, May, about four months later. At the time when you were playing that game, did you know that that would be your last one? Um, like on the home court? On that home floor when you were playing that last game or or even the the last two games after that. Because you still had a couple more. You had Eastern Mennonite, then you had Washington and Lee. Was there ever a hint that there's finality? Um, I I think I may have hinted it to myself, and I probably did that by making a point to make sure that my parents came to that last game at Washington and Lee. Um because they they usually came to away games that were like a reasonable distance. So like a Shenandoah was like an hour from DC or um, I don't know what else, but they, I like made sure I was like, you're going to come to the, the Washington Lee game, right? Like it's our, it's our postseason game. Like it could be our, I think I might've, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I probably said something like it could be our last game. Like it, most likely will be considering we're we're the the weaker team. Um I might have been a little too too like pessimistic <laughs> um but I was pretty much exhausted and that might have been my way of like telling myself that um that I was done. Um but honestly I was probably still too numb to feel all the feelings that I would have felt about it being the end. Um, because I, I do remember playing that Washington and Lee game and going to the scores table in the first quarter and just not feeling any kind of like nervousness or stress and like not playing well or out of my mind, just like playing easily and like without stress and i do remember being like the last to leave the locker room after we kind of we kind of packed up and left um but it was it was weird because we had two seniors who um you know it was gonna that was obviously their last game but i just remember thinking like like this is probably my last game and I'm not going to say anything like going to bow out gracefully. <laughs> How did basketball fit into all this? What was basketball to you when you're mm -hmm. going through all these things you just described? <laughs> um, It's that, there's this um so in the gym at hollands there is the lights on the that hang from the ceiling um 
always made this buzzing noise. Like every time when I, there was a ramp that led up to our, our gym. And every time I'd walk from the gym to go to practice, I think even like in games too, with like music going, like I could hear that buzzing. But as soon as I stepped on the floor, I couldn't hear it anymore. And that's something I kind of included when I was writing about basketball in college. Um, but it reminded me that it sort of has always taken me to this place where, you know, any player, when they talk about going between those lines and like the sound of the swish of the net and the squeaking, the squeaking of the sneakers and the, the sound of the ball bouncing and on this, this creaky hardwood floor that we had. And, you know, it was, it wasn't like life was was perfect when all was that when all that was happening, but it was just such a shutout of like I'm not going to focus on anything else right now besides playing this game. You know, it's like escapism, um, the game itself. Like that's what it was. And then it was in between in the locker room and on the bus where all of the oh I'm too cool to have feelings like. No, like I <laughs> was over here having meltdowns like half the time. Um, I think about it a lot in the way that like, oh, if I didn't have to be a student athlete, like I could have played longer. It is what it is. <laughs> and we hear that red alert klaxon, which means we have to take a break, give love to the sponsors. But when we come back, What's Maxwell Nagel thinking about the things that are happening in the landscape? And why is Airbender so dang overrated? That and more coming up. I'm Carly Chardonnay. Well, this is the Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay Webb. I'm joined by former college basketball player, now basketball journalist and teacher, and still hoop head, Maxwell Nagel with us. I want to move ahead to pass the dark times into the light. Yes. Into the light. Senior year. One thing, though, was mm -hmm. it hard watching ball? that senior year was it hard um it's weird because i spent that whole the whole rest of that year like in i was in a musical so my this friend i had on the the soccer team and i we made this pact to audition for the the musical that the the theater was going to put on um because i'd be remiss if i didn't talk about this because it impacted me so profoundly um but we were <laughs> we were in a musical uh which was was chicago um that spring and so i spent the rest of that year doing something completely new and just absolutely loving it and then um one of my other teammates also who i'm still close friends with she had also encouraged me to go out and we ended up being in it together um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention her too, um, because she's one of my best friends, but, um, so I spent that whole summer kind of wanting to do more theater stuff that in my senior year, um, because I'd found this place where, as it turned out, vulnerability in the theater is actually a really good thing. So I found that it was a place where I kind of thrived. Um, which was a whole thing I had to grapple with because I was like, well, basketball did this to me, but it was still this game I love. But anyway, it was, I had this thought about being, going to the first like home game and like having to like walk in slowly and like take a minute and like not even be able to sit in the stands. But like, no, like I was all good. Like I'm telling like Carly, when I think about, my college years i have these three years of student athlete slash pre-teamy and then me on testosterone senior year 
honestly best year ever and i'm i'm not exaggerating at all <laughs> um now i gotta know you're in chicago what role did you get oh i was in the ensemble oh okay uh, i was in the ensemble and so was my friend and we oh my god it was it was such a blast and i'm still friends with people from that show and i did two more shows in my senior year which were just as just as amazing um something i'll never forget <laughs> and um uh i no i didn't have a problem watching um i was really just like paying attention i was paying more attention to the you know i was getting like the facial like fuzz like not not the hair that i have now but like that facial fuzz my voice had was significantly different because i started it at the very beginning of the summer before i went and had my internship um so i came back my voice was different and i was so it was hard to kind of picture me even in a scenario where i i could be playing basketball and i think what one of the things that made me really good about my decision was as a high schooler, like my senior season had been sort of taken away from me in multiple ways, but I went into that decision in college, like, you know, I'm electing to do this. Like I am choosing to end my career now. And another part of me was also like, I have to get out of basketball before it turns into something that I, actually hate because i never felt like i went to a, a point like that and um like i knew if like if i didn't want to put in the work like i had to get out like it wasn't fair to anyone that i was going to be on a team with um so i don't i don't think it was hard like at all and i think i loved watching um it's, it's weird because my my coach had actually left that summer to take the head coaching job at, at EMU where um, it's closer to her, her hometown and her family. Um, so I didn't get to see her at all my senior year. And I was, I probably still would have hung around and gone to practice. And, and I still did with, with the new coach a few times, but um, it was strange too, because no one from the team, my freshman year at all had remained like, I came in with five other freshmen, like all of us were gone in one way or another, um, either at Hollins or not, and just not playing. Um, so everything was different. Um, so it was, it wasn't that hard. It wasn't like I felt like I was missing, uh, I was kind of just getting to see what else there was, there was for me at, at Hollins and, um, I have never regretted <laughs> that decision. You never left basketball. Mm -mm. You interned at Slam. Wrote mm -hmm. a lot of articles at Slam. Yeah, I, I loved and loved being at Slam. <laughs> I'm looking at some of those. Wrote about Adam's Adam Silver's contract extension. Mm -hmm. The Uncle Drew collection. You wrote about yes, that. That was that was the summer that um, when I I think the first because i remember like one of the associate editors like walking me through putting that out because i'd followed slam for a long like the first slam i think i ever picked up was like the cover story when when kobe won his last ring in 2010 so it'd been like eight years and you know they're so online now but when the the uncle drew piece dropped and i saw my name beneath it i was like what the heck like um that was such a great feeling and and such a such a like good vibes there all around um a lot of people i look up to and admire um like i've got the on my desk right next to me i've got like the first um women's slam which didn't exist even when i was interning i think um so i i still read it my mom still gets me a subscription <laughs> and um yeah a lot a lot of good times there 
great experience for me too to be on my own in in New York. But June eleventh, twenty nineteen, you wrote something that wasn't just about ball. Mm-hmm. What what was it? What was the emotions going through you when you saw that run, and when you were writing it? Um, so I actually, I was uh, encouraged to that entire year. I was encouraged to reach out to Slam with to pitch an idea for something else I wanted to write about by a professor that I had a relationship with and and really trusted and helped me a lot. And she um, encouraged me to pitch the idea. And like, I had spent that whole year basically like mulling over like, okay, like what could I, like, what could I write about? Like, um, and cause I, I had to think, I had to think about like the last three years and everything I had been through. Like I hadn't, as soon as that season ended, like I was onto the musical, like I didn't, give myself time to like process a lot. And I'd been through more than like, I had, I got out of a serious relationship that, um, that spring of my junior year. So there was like a lot that changed for me that I just hadn't processed. And so I spent the whole year basically thinking of that, that piece and, you know, like writing, like it was one of those things that like one day I just like sat down and it came out of me and I don't remember like when or how, but I do remember it taking kind of a while for the the piece to actually run because I was emailing um, the associate editors and remember emailing like Susan Price Thomas, who's the managing editor and, and Adam Figman, who is the still, I think the editor in chief and, first hearing that they were interested in running it, which was like a big deal. And I didn't, I think they, they, I was optimistic that they, they would have been like slam is never like shied away from things like that. And I really respect them for it, but it took a while to actually get out there because I think the guy running it was also covering like the finals during that time. <laughs> Cause it was June, May. Um, but I remember reading some of the comments underneath it and feeling quite not good. (laughs) Um, but there was one comment in response to a not so good comment that was kind of made it all worth it and kind of like whoever wrote that, like they understood what I was saying (laughs) and like that I was just trying to put something out there. So that made it all okay. And I'm I'm glad I put it out there. (laughs) I'm actually looking at that comment. Yeah. This is a lot to put out there, but Mm -hmm. when I read this, I'm looking at how much hasn't changed in three years. Cause now we're, because think of it this way, Let, timeline a week and a half before this dropped, you had the first NCAA transgender student athlete to win a national championship. That was maybe less than that was maybe two weeks before that dropped. Wow, I didn't know that. There was a big to-do about that then, and there was all this enmity and vitriol, and now you're seeing it again mm-hmm. with Leah Thomas. Yeah. Um, and with this new NCAA policy. I wonder, somebody who, went, who competed under the policy that was, what's your thoughts on this change? So as I understand it, it's basically they they're gonna let every sport like decide, right? Yeah, that's that's in a nutshell, that's pretty much it. And no one has come out yet with really okay. So because the governing bodies are still trying to figure out policy because of what the IOC did. Right. Um, I mean when it comes to when it comes to all this, like I really 
wish people would start with just acknowledging the incredibly nuanced nature of it. Um, and I mean, I, I have, I have no idea what people are gonna, what governing bodies are gonna do. Um, I'm almost like a little scared to find out. <laughs> um, it's, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know. I think because they haven't come out with rulings yet, it's hard to say whether, I mean, I think it's good that they have updated something from that, from the old policy, like something had to change because it's been about a, about a decade, a little more. Um, but I think, I think I'm still processing to be honest. Now, do you still pick up a ball from time to time? Like during the summer, will will I see you at a park, say in College Park or in DC, still getting a run in? Um, so I was during like the first Corona summer of 2020, I would go to a a park that had a blacktop that was about a 15 minute walk from my apartment. Um and I moved to a different place in the neighborhood this past like September. But I would go to that park a lot and <laughs> I was like, so like, I think it was probably just the me not touching a ball in a long time and maybe the way the, the muscles in my body had, had really changed, but, oh man, my shooting touch is gone. <laughs> like it is gone. Um, I probably stood like at the foul line, just shooting like as fundamentally as I could the first the first trip I went over there, but since I, since I started working full time, kind of, I haven't been able to as much. Um, but I, I hope I can find some time when it gets, it gets warmer too to, to pick up a ball and, and play some again, even if it's just shooting around. <laughs> How's it been negotiating being a teacher with and being yourself? What's uh, a, I mean, uh, how is that work? Cause, cause you know how some parents get, um, so that actually doesn't, I haven't had any run-ins with that because it's, it's funny. Like I, I have conversations with teachers and when there's, when there's kiddos who are questioning or that are coming out as trans, I, I definitely, I bring it out and I mention not to the, to the, the student maybe, but to like the teacher and admin or an admin and be like, Hey, like I'm happy to be a resource or like talk to this kid. And I know like it, it's BS, but like I pass like pretty, no one knows basically unless I tell them. Yeah. You um, pass, but you're a shooter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of gotten to the point and it's a, it's a small school. It's about, 250 kids and I don't know how many faculty, maybe like 30 so teachers, but I, I lose track of like who I, who I've told and who I haven't. And, um, I don't, I don't think I'm this, I don't think I'm living like as, as stealth or anything or like, or not, but, um, I kind of, it comes up when it comes up and, if I can use it to help a kid who's going through the same thing, then I definitely will. <laughs> no, but, a, but a way to think about that, you live in, you're just living. Mm -hmm. Where do you think society's still missing it in regards to trans people in general, but also trans men in particular, because trans men often are not talked about mm -hmm. in any regard. I think in general with trans people, like it's funny because when I came out to my, <laughs> my relatives a few years ago, um, actually more like six or seven years ago. Um, I remember my cousin telling me that his mom, my aunt was like, well, like she just doesn't get it. And I was like, well, I don't get it either. Like it, <laughs> it's not people there's nothing to really like get there's just this understanding that gender is this thing we've made up like 
anything. I mean, as I say, who's someone who like lives in a binary, like self, like it's something we've made up and we should be able to live as comfortably. I mean, life, life's already hard enough. Like we should be able to live (laughs) as comfortably as we want to. I think trans men are, I think men are so like accepted already because they're men that kind of leads to trans men being not as much of a in the spotlight kind of the way that that trans women always are i mean things like trans misogyny exist and i think people just are also afraid because transness to me is also the the proof that nothing is fixed or lasts forever like it's change um, anything can be changed. And that's prob- probably the only truth that you can can take in, in life. And so that's that's a scary thing to to grapple with. It's like something you've been told your entire life and something we've thought for centuries is actually just BS. <laughs> so now one thing hasn't changed though, like I said, you still love this game. Mm-hmm. What's it like covering who? Oh, I just love it. I just love it. Like this, this area, I love covering like, and I love amplifying the women's game much more than the men's. And I think like, we still have such a long way to go with this whole protecting women's sports argument. Like, Yes, we have a lot of protecting to do, but not in the ways that people think. Um, like if we want, like let's invest in the women's sports. Like, um, but I just, I just love it. Um, getting to kind of combine my love of writing with sports is something I didn't think I was ever going to get to do, and. I kind of learned to appreciate in my final few years of college, the thing about writing is that once something is on the page, like it's there forever, like you've immortalized it. And so um, telling the story of the game is like this happened and like. I got to cover a state semifinal game and it, it was just, you know, that was better than a normal game, but getting to cement a team's finest hour. And I mean, unfortunately if you lose, I'm also cementing your loss, but um, you know, it's, it's incentive. And I'm, I was so thrilled to come on with Nova hoops because there's such a well-known platform in this in this area and um such a good resource for for hoops too just to know what's going on now we're getting into the nerd geek part of the program okay why do you think everybody sleeps on avatar the last airbender Uh, because it, it aired on a kids network i think that's the simplest simplest answer um and like it it's definitely a show for children, but like there are, there is deep stuff that I think kids maybe just gloss over because kids sometimes have the blessing of not absorbing the more challenging things of the the world. Silence and this show has your entire. I mean, this is the show that has you know uh, this this old man like, cries over his, generational abuse, his son, a genocide <laughs> of an entire um, culture that is imperialism save is. In, a, in a battle. So many like tear jerking moments. Like, oh my god! I think. See, I find it hard to believe it was <laughs> it was designed to be a kids car a kids animated series. Me too. Because no, I'm a fan of it. Me too. <laughs> Because for that reason that, no, this story gets deep. A lot of the storytelling reminds me uh-huh. why it I like anime so much. Because the storytelling story gets deep. Oh, Zuko, hands down. He is, okay. he is my baby. <laughs> like, I adore him. <laughs> um, 
such a good redemption arc, such a well-written character. Um, I mean, the, the writers of that show are two of the most brilliant, I think, creative minds in this, in this earth. Um, but Zuko for sure. Um, I don't, I mean, Iroh is a close second. Um, I mean, I like the, I like the members of the gang, but they're Zuko and Iroh's like relationship. And also their characters both are so important and, and deep and amazing. (laughs) You can't say enough good things. Because you're teaching, you're Mm -hmm. writing, Mm -hmm. you, you have this great story from the past that you've taken a lot from and built a future. What's next? Um, I really want to work in sports. Um, I do. I, I tried to find a more, I've applied to (laughs) many, many jobs in the last few years, um, which have, Toward, sort of taken its its toll on me in its own way. Um, but what's become really clear to me is that I... But yeah, we need to love find to my way back to athletic communications or to sports, something like that. Basketball um, or some I other do thing like where I am now, and I'm I'm wondering I'm happy if to be sort of at this school point. for that is on the horizon. Um, but I also do still think about where do I want to be in in five years and and so on. And I hope. Even if it's not that, something else I can still enjoy and use lessons from that story you were just saying I learned a lot from to to prosper and and thrive. So, home stretch question here. Okay, because you want to work in sports. Yes. Let's say you get that phone call. Mm-hmm. You get a phone call from Indianapolis, Indiana. Mark Emmert at the NCAA calls you and says, "Hey, Max, how you doing?" Mark no. Emmer. <laughs> and you, you know, we have this transgender inclusion policy that we're trying to fine tune to get it together. Mm-hmm. What do, what are the most important things I need to know as we are building and shaping and honing this policy? We admit it. We, we kind of rushed this thing and we met, we kind of messed it up, but we want to fine tune and get um, it right. I would say the simplest and thing is to athlete. You went through this with, what do people I like need me and to know people who've gone through it and to get this to thing sort right, of like get a, this thing uh, a qualitative like data gathering of like what the the impact of whatever policy someone played underneath was and um, gauge I think more openness towards um, just like gender inclusion. And um, I think also there needs to be something in there about equity in, in women's sports. I mean, we saw just last March Madness, the sort of light that was shined in terms of the difference in the weight rooms. Yeah, the weight room games. Yeah. Um, Sedona Prince going viral on TikTok and she's never looked back. Um, but That'd be, and I don't know what I would do if if I got that call. <laughs> I would probably need a second to like process, and I'd be like, "Let me get back to you <laughs> if you want to know." Um, yeah. Well, in the meantime, though, you're going to be writing some great stuff for Nova Hoops, mm-hmm. Um we're going to be linking that in the not liner notes. So you can see more of what this kid's doing to write about hoops in a hoop crazy area. Maxwell Nagel, thank you for sharing your story and thank you for being on the transporter room. And oh, by the way, women's final four, mm-hmm. myself, Laura Rosenberg, we're going to get together a panel discussion for the, for the women's tournament. Hey, can we get you for it? Can we get you for it? 
uh, send me the date and I'll, I'll see, but I'm, I'm interested for hey, sure. We'll get, hey, we will definitely get in touch, but we're going to beam you back down Northern Virginia. You keep doing the great hoops down there. Thank you for being on the transport around. Thank you, Carly. <laughs> and thank you all for being a part of the transporter room, being a part of transporter room nation. And if you like what you heard, if you like what you've been hearing as of late, want to hear more of it, please, by all means, there's something you want to see, something you want to say about what we're doing here. Leave a message on our Twitter page. Leave a message on our Facebook page. Leave a message at our Instagram page, transporter room 10 forward. Remember everything I do here at the Transporter Room. I do it for all of you, the people who support us. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. Live long and prosper and steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week. Bye.